in the talk with you this evening, I would like to speak about the theme of dependent arising. In the talk yesterday evening, I quoted the Buddha and I mentioned there the four noble truths, the four major truths of of life, of existence, and in that there is the, the application, shall we say, of the teachings to the daily life situations. And the body of the teachings I regard as all being involved and clearly connected with the here-now situation. And that here-now situation not only being, of course, in this present situation which we are in, but wherever we are. Sometimes the way that we view the teachings, the teachings here being concerned with suffering when it arises, the conditions or causes for suffering, the cessation of it, and including that joy and happiness in life, peace in life, liberation, and the way, the vehicle for that, that sometimes when we think about the teachings or we think about the practice, whatever the mode of language which we use, we do tend to think in terms of time. And with thinking in times, we think of how I was in the past, my state, my, my condition of uh, being, my person, personality, and how I am at the present time, the state, the condition that I am in, and then how I might be or will be if I continue in this practice, in this work, in these explorations. So, generally speaking, the way we think about the situation is through the mode of time, the three times of past, present and future. With our thinking in that way, we have measurement. We can measure accurately or inaccurately where we are through comparing ourselves. We compare with ourselves as how I was, how I am now, how I might be. With that too goes many other ideas through the time idea. We think of ourselves evolving and making progress. Sometimes we think of ourselves as stagnating and just not getting anywhere. And sometimes we think of ourselves as regressing and just backsliding, and this practice seems to be two steps forward, three steps back. So, again, for that way of thinking and comparing, we need directly or indirectly time. We need past, present and future as the reference point for who we are. So whenever there is comparing taking place, ideas of progress, stagnation and regress, development, practice, 
then we've got time there with it. That might be a useful way, a helpful way of looking at oneself and measuring oneself in relationship to the to time. But we can in a way get so identified in this way that we're never quite satisfied with what is because the time idea making progress, developing my practice becomes so strong that we just look at the present as an opportunity for improvement. In other words, it's not really okay as it is, it's not good enough as it is, it's simply a stepping stone towards something better. So even when we're experiencing peacefulness in the moment, calmness in the moment, the thought can easily come in, understandably, and say, oh, I'm, my practice is, at last I'm settling in, at last I'm getting somewhere, my practice is deepening, and now I'm really making some progress, or whatever. And that very thought is appreciation of what one is experiencing in the moment, but the moment's not really what it's all about, because it's only part of the practice, it's only part of the progress towards something other. And this is a very strong idea. It's such a strong idea that it, it's in many different circles, shall we say, outside of this situation. When we think of work and career and all of that, it's all, it's, this is never quite it. And yet it seems that whatever, when we have this thought, whatever point we are at, it's never quite it. Even when we get to the top, or whatever that means, of our particular field, it's never quite it. So there's always this idea coming into consciousness of something more than. All these thoughts are dependently arising on the way that we assume things are. So sometimes we look at this and we, we, re, we react to this. We're fed up with measuring ourselves through time, through comparing, through ideas of progress. So then we try to convince ourselves, and we never seem to be able to do it, that it's all, everything is okay, I am really am okay, I don't need to go anywhere, I'll just let go of my ideas of progress and development and getting something out of this for me. And so sometimes I think, oh, I'll just dispense with those ideas totally. But the thought still keeps coming up, but what am I sitting here for then? <laughs> if I'm not developing my practice, if I'm not concerned with the evolution of my mind, if I'm not doing this to get somewhere with it, what on earth do I want to be here for? What do I want to be sitting for and walking for? 
Well, judging from the laughter, a few people have been asking this and probably haven't even thought about progress. <laughs> but anyway, so sometimes we experience this, and all one can say in this, at least to be mindful of the implications of the thought around progress, development, practice, and what's implied in it getting somewhere. Not to refute it and, uh, and to dismiss it, but to see how easily, in the course of time, one might find oneself, and some of you might be at that point already, of not being sure about what practice is, what meditation is, what development means. And it might be time then to be questioning our way of perceiving what is. When we give consideration to uh, ourselves, our relationship to, to situations like this, we perhaps don't reflect and meditate and observe adequately enough the thread, the theme of what is called dependent arising. And the, the Buddha remarked, and I think this is something well worth taking to heart, he said, one who sees the Dharma, means sees the teachings. One who sees the teachings sees dependent arising. One who sees dependent arising sees the teachings. So the way that I would uh, look at that is let's regard as much as possible, as much as our heart will allow, the beginning and the completion of the teachings in all that's implied in that as belonging to the here and now. Rather than thinking of in the past retreat or past times I was like this and now I am like this with a view to being something different later on. Rather than preserve and maintain that ideology Let's see if we can regard being here and the whole of the teachings embraced in this situation. Let's see if we can perhaps even dare to think a little bit more this way. So we're not so much prisoners of what was yesterday and what might be tomorrow. What happens when we forget dependent arising? What happens when the understanding of that is neglected or forgotten? If you just take an issue, any issue that may have been and is occurring for you during today. One is sitting as people come or walking or whatever and people come and the person says, oh today this came up in my practice. 
This came up when I was sitting or when I was walking. And then there is an issue there. And one of the things which is very noticeable with us is that somehow or other, and it may be just be in these kind of uh, Dharma circles, that it seems easier to talk about painful experiences than to talk about happy ones. And that sometimes I notice when a person is talking about the painful experiences in whatever the form that they might be arising, one person may feel more comfortable about that. And sometimes when a person is speaking about happiness or joy or contentment or peaceful, they have a kind of embarrassed look about them. <laughs> As though that really shouldn't be going on here and I must be missing the point if I'm not <laughs> suffering. And I mean, seriously, it, it really does occur. So let's just take where there's some uh, um, painful experience. Painful experience, as I mentioned in previous talks, arises in relationship to. Therefore, it's dependently arising. What tends to happen is with us, we look at, we experience a situation and the Im often the immediate tendency of the mind is just to give a simple issue caused and to think of it as the effect. Understand? I am like this, and then the mind goes, because, and then we, as it were, find or look around sometime for the reason. And we, as it were, put all our eggs in one basket. We say, this cause is causing me this. And we've got into such a habit of just thinking, this causes me this, that we can't see further than that thought. Now, when we experience that, and if you've got a reference for yourself here, it tends to make it more in the direct rather than the theory. So, so there's some pain or whatever is occurring, emotional, conceptual, physical, spiritual or whatever, and, they are, and one is experiencing it, and then the thought arises, this person, place, situation, posture, uh, event, thought or whatever, this is causing me like this. This is, if it w this wasn't there, then I wouldn't be feeling like this, I wouldn't be experiencing this. What happens, I feel, is that when we just have this as a cause, whatever it might be, and a single cause, the probability there's going to be is immense reaction to it. We can't see further than the immediate event. And seeing and mindfulness is seeing through, seeing further, seeing dependently arising and not just grasping a single cause. We say posture is the cause, the timetable is the cause, my mind is the cause, the body is the cause, the teachings is the cause, he is the cause, they are the cause, 
the weather is the cause, the time of the month is the cause, not having enough sleep is the cause. We've got a whole repertoire which we isolate. Can we allow ourselves with a little reflection to see a little bit more than the initial impact? When we don't, what seems to happen very easily is the cause, whether we feel we are the cause or somebody else is the cause or the situation, easily becomes a trigger for negativity, for aversion, for reaction, hostility. And that starts getting generated through the initial grasping. Do you understand? The initial clinging to something Make giving that selfhood, making that special, is the means for the reaction. The reaction needs something or someone to take hold of. Then we can have a reaction. Unless we had that something, we wouldn't know where to react to. So if one just thinks of a situation today, or perhaps everybody's transcended reactions and whatever, and this talk is quite unnecessary. But assuming there might be somebody here who hasn't, <laughs> including myself, then if there is some situation which has arisen today, one has noticed the reaction, the reaction depends upon particular rising. That particularizing gains, as it were, a separate, independent existence. How can we view, what way can we view in which in our seeing, in, in our responding uh, to situations, we see whatever we see is dependently arising? Somebody has failed to do something or somebody has done something. We grasp onto the person. We give the person a separate, independent, unique existence. Upon that, we can base all manner of projections. We can't see in that moment that that person is dependent on countless numbers of conditions for that person to be the way he or she is. We can't seem to see that in the moment. So we isolate the person as though they were independent, self-existent, undisconnected from all other conditions of past and present and place and everything. This person is like this, they gain an identity upon which the reactions feed into and make much of. We blame them, we praise, we uplift them to a godly status, we put them down in the dung heaps of existence. All this is going on because we movement, the reaction has fixed self, has fixed specialness, has fixed uniqueness. Not only do we do it with others, but we do it 
so to speak, with ourselves. So what, what kind of mindfulness, what kind of awareness and, and interest and observation can there be which sees, which recognizes the appearance of human beings, of individuals and groups and oneself, which acknowledges that in language and in common parlance, yet sees dependent arising. Sees but doesn't see independent self-separate existence. What kind of awareness is going to allow that? Because if that kind of awareness, that kind of understanding comes into our perceptions, then some of the mythology of he, she, I is the cause of this might begin to evaporate. And I'm speaking there equally of the upliftment of human beings into specialness, into statushood, which is to project self, and the other which goes along with it, where, there, where we are uplifting, there there will be disparaging. The disparaging may go to the one, or individuals who are uplifted, or the mind will have to, by necessity in the nature of things, turn to disparage and put down. Either way, it's part of the fiction of fixing and giving selfness, uniqueness to the appearance. Failing to see dependently arising. So perhaps with ourselves and our meditations though the general message the general message goes out about just observing just observing breathing breathing dependently arising on air temperature climate energy consciousness body etc having no existence only coming together breathing only coming together owing to all these multiple factors so much of these multiple factors, in fact, that for us to be, it requires the cooperation, and this is the wonder and the miracle, it requires the cooperation of everything in the entire universe. In order for anything to have the appearance of being in the world, the entire universe, universes, needs to be present for something to be. And to take one little event out of the universe and the whole thing falls into nothingness. Just reflect on this. So when we, when generally speaking in meditation circles, thought tends to have be a, a kind of sign of bad news. We hear messages of drop the intellect, 
and we hear messages of thought is corrupt and we hear messages of going beyond thought. Now, all of these, of course, are interesting thoughts. <laughs> and so sometimes there has been a reaction to thought. Thought becomes the problem. So a person sits, walks, eats, whatever, and then frequently reports, oh, the thoughts, my mind is wandering so much, I'm just thinking about this, and dwelling about that, and wondering about this, and wondering who this person is who's walking beside me, and what's this person thinking who's thinking beside me, and all of that. So thought becomes and regarded as the problem. So thought then gains an existence separate from everything else. And so one thinks, if I didn't think, if I could just stop thinking, then I'd have a deep meditation and then I'd probably get enlightened. <laughs> and I'd go beyond thought. And thought is going to need to confirm this, of course. <laughs> Otherwise, how will you know? <laughs> so, thought becomes the villain of the meditator's mind. One is even willing to consider a lobotomy. So <laughs> keen is one to go beyond thought. So there's a reaction to the thinking. And this reaction to the thinking, generated through thinking, means that thinking becomes the problem, it gains self-existence. It gets regarded as the villain. This disturbs me. This is stopping me from my practice. This is stopping me from getting somewhere. And so then one has a fresh ideology. Spirituality is a spirituality which includes the whole universe except thought. Interconnected and related to everything except thought. And one hears that. I might exaggerate very slightly, but one hears that. <laughs> so in the moment of mindfulness, with the thought that arises, we have forgotten it, like the trees and the flowers and the nature and the whole realm of experiences. We forget that this is dependently arising and it gains a specialness separate and distinct from the vast universes of dependent arising. We exclude it from life, from the field, from the wondrous magical field. So how can we regard, what way can we, when I ask these questions, by the way, I better get this in quick. I ask the questions, I rarely know the answers. I believe the answer is where the question is. So how can we observe, how can we, with the thought, know and understand the thought that it is dependently arising as much as everything else which we regard as wondrous and miraculous and joyful. 
What way can we have a, a, a understand a universe which is not of self-existence? So I say, sometimes we have a view that meditation is just mindfulness, just observing. And I think we have to be, both with language and with emphasis, just a little careful about this. Because if we repeat, which people like me very um, tragically have made a career of, um, repeat being mindful, be here and now, be watchful, observe, inquire, be present. Keep repeating this. Uh, it might be providing an immense disservice to people. Think about it. One likes to think in one's better moments. One is providing a service to people. But what happens if in the listening we hear, be here and now, be aware, be mindful, be conscious, be alive, be inquiring, be this, be that, be other. And we grasp onto that, useful and helpful as it might be, what it will do in the grasping and giving its specialness is make one aware of not being mindful, not being aware, not being here and now, not being present, and not liking thoughts at all. So one could, in the communication, in putting out a message of a teaching, be setting one up for people to become painfully aware of its opposite. Painfully aware of the view of not having not having presence of mind, not being in the moment, not being in touch. Understand? So when we hear, when we hear what the teachings, when we're receiving the teachings, when we're applying the teachings, what's going to contribute to understanding language words is dependently arising and doesn't have any special, separate, unique existence. Particularly the language which we are finding is helpful and we regard as beneficial for ourselves, such as being here and now, being with the moment, going into things. Not even this language, which can be so useful, is worth making something special of because it can polarize the mind into being with and not being with contentment at being with frustration boredom feelings of difficulty when not being with not even anything of the Dharma teachings which some of us love with our whole heart and soul 
could be had fun. Um, <laughs> think that the teachings are worth grasping onto. So I think at, at times, without going into excesses in any way or prioritizing any way, sometimes with the mindfulness and with the quietness and the silences that we share together, sometimes a little reflection is useful. A little reflection, sometimes a little reflection on what we are making much of. And being quite choiceless in that regard. We see the value, hopefully, of mindfulness and awarenesses and the reflections and noticing when we're making much of something which is painful or which shows a reaction to. And, and reflecting on a little wider on the dependent arising conditions. So we're not solidifying it too much. But equally, when we're making much of something else as well, even something which we regard as being beneficial. So there's a certain choicelessness and interest there, and an interest which is saying, not only with the, the painful, but even with the satisfying, to explore that, to see that de that's dependently arising. I don't think getting a sense for that, as, as it would seem from the, the, the teachings, from the, the teachings of the Buddha, can hopefully contribute to opening, expanding the heart, to not being so much a prisoner of self-existence. But I think it goes even, in a way, even further than that. Do you understand the, the thread, if I'll just uh, recap a moment? Especially some evenings, some people would be feeling quite um, um, tired um, during the day, and the uh, undertaking of having to listen to a 45-minute talk is a considerable uh, endeavour. So in the talk, I mentioned at the beginning how we get fixed with time, things of time, and we measure ourselves, progress, regress, stagnation, through thoughts about past, present and future. We didn't have those thoughts and those comparing. We couldn't have the views about ourselves. So then I said, let's see if we can, instead of just thinking in that rather conventional way, let's see if we can regard everything taking place, the beginning, the middle and the end, the finish of the teachings and the, the task is that we end the teachings. That's the undertaking, to bring the teachings to completion. Let's see if we can get a sense for that in the here-now situation. Not yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Then I said, in the here-now situation, what we notice at times is reaction. In order for there to be reactivity, like hostility, negativity, aversion, whatever, it requires, whether we recognize it or not, it requires something to hang it on. Someone, some situation, some form, some interpretation 
net which we hang it upon gains a selfness, a specialness. It's extracted from the universe. That becomes something and to the degree there's a reaction, to the degree that that gets solidified. Then I said, even that can happen with something distinctly pleasant, something which one appreciates. We can elevate person, place, situation into specialness, and when we do that, we will experience opposites, because that's what happens with elevating and putting down. So then I said, in that, thought plays its part. Thought fuels that. It reinforces that idea of self-existence <coughs> which hinders us from seeing dependent arising which the whole universe comes together for something to happen. <coughs> Can we open out our hearts, open out our awareness to see more in terms of dependent arising, therefore see the teachings, less in terms of self-existence. That would include, as I mentioned, in that, our thoughts as well. Not to get on the case of thoughts which are dependently arising because it's their character. And then I was pointing out, in that, the thought itself and the action of thought, the, moment, the momentum of thought which takes place, thought, I feel, can be used quite usefully and sensitively to help explore dependently arising. Just as the, the, the Buddha said, to his young son Rahula he said to his young son Rahula all those people all those men and women of past and present who have come to profound and liberating understanding have employed reflection in towards that understanding so I think thought rather reverentially and sensitively and respectfully, can be employed with our meditations to help shed a little bit more light on the situation. It can be a good friend to us. And there's the harmonizing of the use, the application of skillful thought to the mindfulnesses, to the meditations. And it, it doesn't have to be very theoretical and very abstract and very analytical. If we're really listening into ourselves and listening to the moment, that quietness of thought can come from quite a different place inside of us. Then, as I say, in coming to the conclusion, I say also it goes one step further, and this is just as important vitally important. Sometimes there are thoughts and interests if, uh, and uh, concerns and explorations which in 
a kind of progressive or developmental way of the teachings, one gives concern, expresses concern and interest in its consummation, in the fulfillment of the teachings. And sometimes with that, words such as um, enlightenment, liberation, nirvana, perfection, truth, and other words which you may have some uh, association with, begin to come into one's thoughts and into one's reflections. They, too, can gain a specialness, a self-existence, to which one measures oneself, being close to, being far away from, so according to the degree that one has given that significance, and I'm not saying one shouldn't, I'm just saying to be aware of the dynamic of dependent arising, according to the degree that one has given that significance, generally speaking, is according to the degree that we measure ourselves in a metaphor of time, in the metaphor of distance, and that may, it may have already become quite important to us. How we are going, how we are progressing, if we are progressing, how near or far from enlightenment, from awakening, from realization. In that way of viewing, the viewing is in relationship to the mind. When one thinks of enlightenment, awakening, realization, one thinks of mind, mind, body, feelings, emotions, consciousness, or whatever, one thinks of it in those terms. One wouldn't talk about enlightenment or think about enlightenment if indirectly one wasn't thinking about it. In terms, if one thinks about enlightenment, one's thinking about it in terms of oneself, unless one is a scholar and completely lost it. <laughs> so, in that, enlightenment matters to the degree that it matters for self, it matters for I, matters for the mind, matters for consciousness. But, what if there's no interest to take up I and mind and make it and give it a self-existence? What if there's no interest to make self central to dependent arising? What if one isn't going to take oneself as a reference? What if that thought has lost all meaning. And has understood the emptiness of that thought of I. And therefore, the issue of being enlightened doesn't have any meaning. 
because there isn't the issue of being unenlightened. Unenlightened and enlightened depends on the belief in the mind or the consciousness as being somehow central to the vastness of it all. And if it's not, if it really isn't, if it's dependent arising is the nature of things, then enlightenment and unenlightenment are simply religious ideas. In our explorations and inquiries and observations and the freedom which the observations reveal, not the freedom of self, but freedom which is equally present everywhere, then we are free to challenge even the most well-worn and frequently spoken concepts of religion and spirituality which have gone on from one generation to another. Even that too can be investigated. May all beings see into life. May all beings see into the nature of things. May all beings love dependent arising. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.